with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Morning, everyone. Welcome back to After 9. I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and this Friday morning, we've got our political panel today with uh, Art Betke, Trudy Clausen, and Eric Allen. And so today, I just wanted to start off, you know, we've been hearing quite a bit about a third a third Omicron wave of COVID here in the province, an increase in hospitalizations for the first time since I believe March. And this case that struck my, that uh, caught my imagination here, um, considering, you know, we sure we have this increased wave, but we also are becoming, uh, I would say pretty, pretty high immunity actually as a, as a population to this illness. Um, Far, far lower uh, rates of, of fatalities. However, many corporations and the uh, and, and governments are still holding uh, high vaccination policies. I, I think it's an interesting thing to discuss, considering uh, a uh, Teamster union lost its case against Coca Cola. Uh, they were challenging the mandatory vaccination policy. Uh, Art, what do you think? Do you think that we should still have these mandatory vaccination policies, or is it something that we can, can start doing away with? I don't think we should ever have had them. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, at the beginning, uh, when the, the virus was uh, much more potent than now, uh, the alpha strain, uh, it was more deadly, and we had no vaccines. But by the time uh, the vaccines came along, the potency of the virus had greatly diminished, and now it's very much diminished. Uh, those Omicron things uh, are, are fairly benign. And, uh, you know, the fact is uh, that they should have known this at the beginning. It is impossible to eliminate an airborne virus with any kind of uh, vaccine mandate. So uh, right now, especially, uh, the, the pandemic is over. This is endemic. So any reason for continuing this would be just a matter of power and control. Um, and these vaccines apparently aren't working because people who have double vaccinated plus uh, boosters are still catching it and catching it more than once. In fact, it even looks like if the more vaccinated you are, the more likely you are to catch the latest Omicron version. So uh, what what's the point of the mandate? Uh, our prime minister has said that the unvaccinated are causing a dangerous situation for the vaccinated. Well, if the vaccines work, how can the unvaccinated hurt them? It, it's it's ridiculous. So, uh, and uh, the the government, especially now, they're they're going to bring in more mandatory testing of people coming into the country. <laughs> and uh, Tamara Leach, who uh, started the truckers convoy protest over mandates. Uh, she's been uh, returned to prison, uh, political prisoner again, without bail, on a charge of mischief. Meanwhile, the, the person who ran down protesters with a car was released within a couple days on bail. So, yeah, it's, it's all politics, it's all power, and uh, there's no reason for this. Eric, what do you think? You got? Uh, do you think that we need to continue to put these things in place to ensure that we have a safe population and or reduce the strain on the healthcare system? Well, I think you know part of the problem is that there's so much information out of there and so much disinformation that it's hard for you know the general or gene citizen to figure out what's going on out there. Um, I looked at those the union case. The union didn't have a case technically in there. 
and the guy that was uh, supposedly there with this didn't seem to be really on top of the topic. So, um, you know, if it was if it was clear cut that you if you went to work and you were you know had some sort of a disease and you took it into the workplace and killed a bunch of other people, it's pretty clear what the situation would be. You wouldn't be allowed to do that. And the only reason we can sort of argue it now is that they can't say definitively whether or not it's going to kill you. I mean, it's some people get it, some people don't. Some people survive, some people die. I think the average age of the people dying right now are 82 or something, but uh, they've never really said right from the get-go that that by taking this vaccine, uh, you're going to have immunity against COVID. Nobody yeah, said that. It said, if anything, it'll help you uh, survive if you actually get it because it won't attack your lungs as bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As and any a, vaccine, a lot of number of people that I know that were vaccinated, uh, you know, the first two or three vaccinations actually got COVID and uh, went to the hospital and went through the process. And they said, thank Christ that I had those vaccinations, because if I didn't, I don't think I'd be here today. So it's not something that we can play uh, games with. It's, it's a serious situation. The problem is that the government and a lot of our people, that you know, we can't seem to get a handle on it. I just want to, I'm just doing a little fact check in here to make sure that we have the, the right facts. Um, COVID-19 actually did reduce the average life expectancy in Canada in 2020 quite significantly from 83.8 years to 76.5 years. That first wave killed a lot of young people. And so we want to make, I just want to make sure we got the, right, all caused the death, right, right facts, right? Uh, reductions in life expectancy directly associated with COVID-19 in 2020, Stats Canada. Um, on to you, Trudy. I mean, this is a, I, we're, we're getting, it's a complex situation. I appreciate Eric's, uh, approach here, but what do you think? Is this, is, is this something that we're going to have to be policing forever and ever, or is there going to be a time when we can kind of let it go? Well, I just read something really neat. Uh, never, uh, vote for somebody who enjoys a bunch of meetings. And I think what we're in here is we've got, uh, for whatever reason, we've got government who is just happy to put rules on the general population because they lack the willpower to actually fix our healthcare system. I think that is a huge thing, and I think that's that's the reason that we had to have. I mean, I can totally understand that we had the lockdowns initially. We didn't know what we were dealing with, um, and I was a proponent of, hey, we need to get a handle on this, and we need to know what's happening. But at this point in the game, we know what what we're dealing with, and while the B five variant that is. Uh, uh, seems to be the one that's killing off people right now. Um, sorry to be crass, but um, that one is a bit more serious. And it, it's, but it, but the thing is that you, we know more now. We we've got a vaccine. We've got treatments. We've got um, um, so much, and 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 we already know. I mean, people know these stories of the the damage that the lockdowns have caused, the damage that the restrictions have caused. Um, there are people who um, who just will never get vaccinated, and we we need to stop persecuting them for that. It doesn't matter what we think of that. It it 
it we cannot like if if we're not dealing with something that's killing 30% of the population here and we know already st- there's more and more studies coming out that anybody that is unvaccinated and has had covid um has very likely better immunity than somebody with with uh that's vaccinated and has covid so there's something about that um we need to deal with it in a scientific scientific way and look at the whole picture because we are a whole people like I mean, just look at the opioid deaths. Look at the drop in learning for kids. I mean, teachers are adjusting the IEPs for kids because of the lockdowns. So we need to just stop that and just learn to live with it. And it is what it is. It's it's unfortunate, but but we can't just shut down and restrict people's ability to earn a living you know, as a way to deal with it. We need to fix the health care system instead. Yeah, I really like your point about, um, you know, what are the risks to our population uh, of of not you know mandating these things versus the risks to our kind of polity mm-hmm. for increased polarization right and, yeah exactly and villainizing certain people who who might for whatever reason not want to get vaccinated yeah i'm uh, I, honestly i think that personally i'm i've just got the fatigue from this whole thing <laughs> yeah. and although i i i'm triple vaccinated i i really understand that maybe it's time to start uh, just trying to come back together yeah because we like art <laughs> there you go i um, had the initial strain and i am unvaccinated yeah i don't see any reason to get vaccinated the idea of vaccination is to uh, make the body think that it has the virus and stimulate the natural immune response and natural uh, defenses of the body and there is no way any kind of vaccine can do that better than a natural but of uh, course resistance the, i mean the big point here is that the vaccination likely saved a lot of elderly people's lives oh, yeah. right oh yeah oh yeah yes but uh, then but then on to that and it's an important point uh, i think at the world economic forum they were just talking about how we need to increase the availability of made hmm. and it's like Okay, so we want to completely destroy our economy so that we can keep the old people alive. And yet, on the other hand, we're going to increase MAID. And there are already people who are choosing MAID because we have such a terrible health care system. Wow. So, like... MAID, made is medical assistance. We are dying. schizophrenic. Yeah. Like, come on. Let's we grow up. We should bring that up in, in another uh, in another show. I do want to... we got a couple of topics here that are specific to Prince George coming up. Um you know, I was I was interested to see that we're the number one jurisdiction in British Columbia for killing of bears in a municipality per year. Um, I had no idea there is a three hundred and fifty dollar fine for uh, if you leave your garbage out the night before. Uh, the reason why I had no idea is because I regularly have garbage strewn all over my front yard because my neighbors continue to do this. Um, I mean, Eric, what do you think here? Should we just get tough on people to to, to stop this uh, this leaving garbage out? What are the other options that we have here? I mean, I, I'm assuming you'd prefer to not kill as many bears. Well, it just depends on the situation. The uh, I mean, killing bears is part of the history of British Columbia. People have been doing it forever, so it's not like it's something that started yesterday. The uh, uh, you know, it's sort of like a lot of our laws and everything we have. Somebody falls off a bike, they pass a law that I have to wear a helmet. 
you know, it doesn't make any sense. I didn't fall off a bike. Oh, well, we have to do it because, you know, if you hurt yourself, it's going to cost the healthcare system so much money. It's never been proven that that's true, but nonetheless, that's what they use. And there's lots of other ones like that. And this thing with the bears, firstly, they say Prince George. My question is, what part of Prince George? Is it all of Prince George? Is it the regional district? Is it the conservation officers live in Prince George, and so they shoot a bear in the regional district, and we and we get the stats for that? We have a huge uh, area. Uh, the only other two places in B.C. that have similar areas is Surrey and Kamloops. And Surrey had one bear killed last year, I think, and Kamloops this year so far had 10, and we had quite a number more than that. So we do have the higher number, but it's not because of the size. It's certainly not because of the population, or Surrey would win that. But we do have a lot of rivers running through here. We have a lot of parks. We have a lot of... uh, untamed forest, so to speak, and so, of course, we've got lots of bears. And uh, in days gone by, if a bear came in your yard and you lived out of town in the regional district or whatever, you just shot him rather than have him hanging around, and that was just sort of standard procedure. Not only that, but the city dump, which is up on where Central Street is now or something, the bears would go there. We used to go and watch them. There'd be 15, 20 bears there eating at the dump. The dump we have now out on... uh, uh, the other side of town, up the Hart Highway there. As far as I know, it's all fenced in and everything. A bear can't get in there. It starved to death if he had to try to get inside there and get something to eat. But So then they start looking somewhere else, and we end up getting them down on the streets. But the city doesn't take any responsibility for being part of the problem by fencing them away from the dump. <coughs> so there's lots of different situations. I've seen bears wander downtown. I used to be on... Uh, on security at nighttime sometime, and you come around the corner, holy Jesus, there's a black bear there. So you get back in the car fairly quickly. But uh, And then, of course, we have the people that fix these bears up and make them better and release them back into the wilderness again. And, and uh, it's, it's really a mixed-up mess. I don't know what the solution is, but, uh, you know, we can strap our garbage up and do whatever we want, but if a bear is hungry, if he doesn't get the one that's open, he's going to go to the next one, same as a crow or something, to keep looking until they find some food. And if a day ever comes that the food they find happens to be our dogs or our children or something, then, then there's going to be some serious problems. I'm just going to, i got to jump in here just to make sure, like, you know, the number one cause of bear attacking humans are off-leash dogs, not uh not having garbage out, so we just want to make that clear. Trudy, uh, we got a twenty percent reduction in uh, in bear uh, shootings in in communities where they've been certified bear smart, which is reducing attractants. You think that we got a chance to do that in Prince George here? Uh, <laughs> well, I. I, I'm, I've got to chuckle a little bit about um, what Eric was saying because I was about the garbage dump because it was, I mean, we lived in Mackenzie and yeah, we were we were one of those people. I mean, there the were zoo. grizzlies. It was the zoo. You'd go at night and you'd watch all the grizzlies in the, in the garbage dump. Um, I mean, maybe we need to uh, remove the fence on the, on the uh, non-city side of the Foothills landfill to, <laughs> to allow them to find their food. But... Um, I mean, I, I'm all for people keeping their garbage 
well locked up, right? It, it, it's, it's, I mean, the, the fact is, the reason that we have so many bears is because we are smack dab in the middle of the wilderness, really, if you look at the map, right? And for the bears, uh, it, it makes sense that they, that they do wander in here because of the, all of the reasons that Eric was saying. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, changing the public perspective and, and, and making sure that everybody is locking up their garbages. That's, that's a public education thing. Um, yeah. I wonder if that $350 would, uh, actually help that education system. What do you think, uh, Art? Uh, you get a fine like that. You'll, you'll uh, learn real quick. Uh, you don't put it out early. <laughs> Uh, I don't see any reason to put it out the night before. What does it take to put your garbage out? Like five minutes tops? So I, I don't know why people do that. Um, but it does happen in my neighborhood too every now and then. And sometimes they get uh, confused and put it out the day before and they don't bring it back. So they just leave it overnight till the next day. Uh, yeah, I, I have to agree with... Uh, both uh, Eric and Trudy, uh, we live in the middle of a, a wilderness where bears habituate, and we're also a very huge area for the population we have. Lots and lots mm-hmm. of open space, lots of mm-hmm. parks, uh, two rivers going through, and uh, that's uh, just an invitation to bears. And the other thing that Eric mentioned, if you lived in a rural area in days gone by, a bear came into you, your property you shot it yeah, you no questions asked you just shot it and uh, not to mention uh, people went bear hunting twice a year there was a bear season in the spring and a bear season in the fall and people went hunting bears but uh, we don't do that so much anymore and so the bears have lost their fear of humans and this is the result if as long as we if we don't shoot them out there we're going to shoot them in here that's just the way it's going to be all right, we'll have to take a break. We'll be after this. There isn't much that a country singer hasn't covered in a song. If you want to hear songs about new love, lost love, drinking, fighting, cowboys, trains, traveling, and everything else, then tune into the Country Cavalcade every Wednesday, 6 to 8, where I cover music from the 20s to the 90s, as well as today's traditional independent artists. You'll hear from such greats as the Carter family, Johnny Horton, Vern Charlton, and so much more. The Country Cavalcade, Wednesday, 6 to 8, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM with me, Corey Watt. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and there are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Copar Administration is celebrating 25 years of providing quality employment services to communities in BC and Alberta. Whether you are looking for a job or looking to hire, the key is finding the right fit. The friendly team at Copar can help with hiring events, resume, cover letter and interview assistance, wage subsidies, training, new hire supports and more. The best part is all of Copar's employment services are free. Find the right fit today. Contact Copar Administration at coparadmin.ca. People for jobs, jobs for people. 
Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly cloudy, the 60% chance of showers, wind from the south at 20k starting late this morning, a risk of thunderstorms this afternoon, a high of 21. Tonight, mainly cloudy, the 60% chance of showers, south winds becoming light this evening, a low of 10. On Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud, a 30% chance of showers in the morning, a high again of 21 with a high UV index. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back. We've got more drama at School District 57. So there is a uh, former tr- former trustees, Trent Derrick and Shri Rose Valley Muhammad, were singled out in a notice of claim brought by Anita Richardson, who was a former school district superintendent. These are the two. Uh, these are the two um, trustees who actually left after the the whole um, school district 57 report on, on institutional racism, et cetera. Right. Uh, that, that, that is being dealt with now. Um, and they, fl- they left the school district because they, they held that the, the, the situation working there was impossible to change and, and racist, et cetera. Uh, now we've got the, uh, we, we've got kind of the, the other, the other shoe dropping here with, a former superintendent claiming that they were actually creating a toxic work environment. I know, Trudy, you've got a lot of uh, interest in the school district. You got any insight into this issue? Uh, well, I think it's 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 sad. I mean, at the bottom the bottom line is that this is having an impact on the classroom. This is having an impact on the kids because any time that. Um, and I've, I'm writing a column that I'm going to be submitting to the citizen today talking about some of the aspects, so I don't want to, you know, miss that. <laughs> I, I don't want to, um, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I know that one, one thing that people were shocked at when Trent Derrick resigned and him saying that, hey, you know, the whole system is, is, is toxic and everything. And it's like, wait a minute, you're the chairman. Like, you actually are the one who is in charge of how things go. And I mean, I think he was even thinking that, yeah, I I just read in the citizen that at the time he said that the Roberts rules of order was racist uh, because I or something I shouldn't maybe say that he said something like that. And it's like, but you're in charge like you can actually Roberts rules are meant for things just to, to flow smoothly. And to give people time for, uh, to know what the topics are about. And these are some of the allegations that Anita is making. Anita Richardson is, is that, um, there were decisions made or things dropped at meetings and voted on without prior consultation, without prior knowledge and all of that kind of stuff. So there's a lot to unpack. I, I, I think it would be really helpful if this actually went to trial because then the public would know more. Um, because I think the public deserves to know. I mean, I know that a trial would cost more resources, but it's, this is, parents deserve an answer for why the school district is still floundering with such terrible graduation rates, why these rates have not improved. And I think, and I think this is, I think this is very likely one of the reasons why. Um, Art, I mean, I heard, actually, I think it was Trudy that said this, uh, we've got the most in-camera, meetings of any school district in bc do you think that this if this case goes forward that there will be more transparency i would imagine uh, if things come out in trial we would learn more uh, this is something i feel compelled to mention is that i really don't know what went on inside uh, any school board meetings you know i'm not privy to that 
so I don't know what all the objections were. Uh, Vilema Mohammed uh, claimed her reason for resigning was she felt uh, unsafe and fearful during the meetings. And I, I find that hard to believe. I'm sorry, I really do. But, you know, not having been there, uh, but I really can't believe the other school board members uh, were such nasty people. Uh, uh, Trent Derrick, he didn't say it was the meetings themselves uh, that were a problem. He, he said uh, when that uh, report uh, about the schools in Prince George was released claiming systemic racism, that was his reason for resigning. And, you know, I, I haven't, again, read the report but I did see the authors on TV uh, talking about what was in it, and they didn't say anything that indicated systemic racism. I mean, systemic racism means it's a part of the system. It's the rules, the regulations that are racist, and they mention nothing of the sort. And I just can't believe that in any school in this province or in the whole country would have that. So... Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll see maybe what happens more when this uh, gets gets to trial. It's, whatever's going on there, it, it does sound like a, not a very nice place to get together and, and talk and meet. <laughs> <laughs> no matter which side of this thing you're on, yeah, they're fighting like dogs and cats. Eric, you got the last word on this. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, the, the provincial government has the uh, authority to, they can step in and fire the whole school board and... Uh, just appoint somebody to run it for the next year or two until the dust settles. But it's probably not a good time to do that right in the middle of what's going on now and with the court case coming up and the rest of it. And they may not want to do it because, you know, if you have a close, and this is my personal opinion, but if you have a close look at school boards, uh, uh, you'll find that there's a lot of politics going on there. Uh, they've been politicized for quite a number of years, and so what is politics? What is actually concern for children and education? And you know, it's just it's just a mess. And we we just had an instance. I'm still sort of getting over it with this Mogus and Flats uh, situation down there. Now the city, if they if they were watching what they were doing, should have known that there was court cases in Langley and Abbotsford and that about five six years ago, where the court ruled that you have to have a place for these people to stay in, whether it's a park or whatever. But they didn't do that. They went down the road and uh, pretended they didn't know anything about that, and they ended up going to court and losing anyway. And uh, but, but my point is that we're now at a point with that situation where the mayor and people, if I read it right in the last newspaper, deal says, we can't do anything about it. You know, we can't, we're, we're finished. We're, there's nothing we can do. And so now we're standing there washing our hands on the whole situation at the time when when the government and people need to be looking at it the most and be the most concerned. Our elected officials are saying there's nothing we can do about it. I find that incredulous. So uh, what's the relationship to the to the school board here, Eric? Take well, I think I think the same thing. I think it's been watered down and. And it's been uh, the system as it used to be is not there anymore. We've got younger people coming in. We've got people that have less uh, concern about that, that's things. That's ages, and, more and I, I don't think the school boards function the way they should. 
I mean, that's, I guess that's interesting. If there's no responsibility being taken, um, honestly, it's, it's a, it's a strange thing when you start to think, well, maybe the province should actually step in, especially for this panel. Like none of us, I think, are really interested in central authority trying to make decisions up here. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really screwed up situation. And, and I think you're right. There's not a lot of responsibility being taken or leadership being shown. We'll have to take a break and we'll be back after this. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity, and Recreation Council is hiring a senior manager for their food systems program. This manager will be responsible for leading and providing overall strategic and operational direction for the food system program. Full details are available through the website ispark.ca. That's the Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity, and Recreation Council hiring a senior manager for their food systems program. Applications will be accepted until the position is filled. North Central Seniors Association is closed for the summer and will resume weekly activities on Wednesday, September 14th. In the meantime, the association invites you to find out more about the organization and their activities during their weekly informal coffee meeting. Stop by for a visit and meet some friends, old and new, 2 o'clock each Thursday afternoon at the College Heights Tim Hortons and get ready for the resumption of weekly activities in September. Organizations wanting to become a more inclusive and accessible employer are invited to take a 15-minute disability inclusive employer self-assessment. The assessment will help you gain a deeper understanding of where you're doing well and where there's room to improve. For more information or to access the assessment tool, visit disabilityinclusion.ca. The disability inclusive employer self-assessment is made available by Open Door Group and Presidents Group, two organizations committed to improving employment for people with disabilities in Canada. GrizzlyBearFoundation.com is your portal to learn more about grizzly bear conservation. Check out the GrizzCast podcast to immerse yourself in a rich story about the life and death of a young grizzly bear molly. In episode 3, Mike Willie considers how Indigenous governance can lead to more effective conservation and help strengthen our connection to each other and the natural world. Access this and other episodes of GrizzCast through the GrizzCast podcast link under our work at GrizzlyBearFoundation.com. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So I'm sure a lot of listeners as well as this panel were really looking forward to a knockdown, dragout fight for the new leadership of the provincial New Democrats. But it ain't looking like we're going to get one. Ravi Kailan has, has stepped down, said, you know, family time is more important than being the premier. Nathan Cullen, who I thought might run, has put a statement out saying he's not going to run. That really leaves David Eby as the only real front runner here. Uh, he's going to be crowned, you know, the the new uh, the new Premier of British Columbia pretty soon here. Um, what do we think about this guy? What kind of uh, what kind of leadership is he going to bring? I've heard him called a silver spoon socialist before. Are we going to get this kind of middle of the road that we got with John Horgan? Or are we going to get a little more? A little more left, a little more spendy. What do you think, Art? I think we're going to get a lot more left. And, and uh, I don't know about spendy, but certainly left. Uh, he's uh, apparently po- rather popular with the uh, activist base of the party. And so activist bases is concerned with things like uh, shutting down resource extraction or dictating how it shall be done and um, uh, saving the planet from climate change with all kinds of draconian measures. So I would expect a lot more of that. And 
this is a cause for concern for me. It's, it's you know, people are talking about why uh, are we are our forest companies taking the money they've made by selling our forest products and investing it in foreign countries like Sweden and the United States? And uh, that could be well be for two reasons. One, there isn't any extra wood here to harvest, and two, onerous regulations piled on top of each other. So I, I would expect more of that from him and uh, his activist supporters, who mostly. I would suggest reside in the lower mainland in large urban centers and are totally removed as far as possible from the environment and protected from it and have no inkling at all about the resource extraction and uh, what it provides for the province. So, Art, what do you think? Are we going to get uh, are we going to get this kind of more interventionist? Socialism that uh, sorry Herb uh, sorry Eric Jesus uh, that uh, that Art is talking about here interventionist socialism <laughs> yeah I don't know uh, you know we, you get uh, Horgan stepping down and uh, and like you say we thought we we're going to have some sort of a leadership convention and next thing you know uh, we're going to have EB there <clears throat> and I haven't paid much attention to him over there over the years, so all of a sudden they've got to kind, of, to kind of come up with some sort of concept of how he might run the government. But if it runs through the form for NDP-type socialist governments, it's, it's probably going to be more of the same, maybe a little extreme on one side, a little on the other, but I mean, that's what their platform is. That's what socialism is all about, and it's about taxing and government spending. And they have different ways of doing it, and I can't get into all the details of it, but usually if they bring in one uh, policy, if you look close enough, you'll see that they tagged you somewhere else uh, on another one to make up for the revenue that they supposedly saved you. And I think if we get into this uh, apartment in Vancouver type thing, uh, which I guess maybe we won't, it's not on here, but it's the same thing where where they have uh, uh, the landlords can charge the tenants increase the rent by 3% uh, for uh, maintenance on the building. And there's no recourse to that. But the uh, NDP, when they brought it in, they said, well, you know, we're not going to allow these guys to have a 2% increase a year plus inflation. So they said, all you can do is increase your rent by inflation. And then they brought in this other part where they can increase it 3% for maintenance. And uh, so what have you gained? Oh, you know, that's it's, interesting. It's just the flashcards. Uh, so you're, I mean, sounds like you're actually saying how socialists are the socialists, considering they've, they, they, they'll make a really big splash about reducing the increase in rent, but then have a little loophole for the, for the landlords, eh? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's a, there's a way of getting around it, and, uh, and we end up paying for it. Every one of these things at the end of the day, and it doesn't matter, I mean, liberals do it too, is that we get, it's the consumer, you know, we get stuck for the additional cost. And, and it's, these guys are playing games all the time. And we, we have to clean up our government, both federally, provincially, municipal, and regional. We, we don't have good government in this country anymore. Trudy, what do you think? Do you think we're going to get a true kind of socialism out of, out of David Eby, who has, you know, certainly been a lot more left than John Horgan uh, ever was, or or is... Uh, Eric, right here, we're going to get a little, lot of lip service and not much change. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, 
I'm right of center politically, or maybe more libertarian is more correct to say that. Um, what I see uh, most socialists like NDP uh, people doing is they simply use the people on the, they they use it's it's the bad government governance thing. It's 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 all of that same same thing over and over. Um, they'll they'll say that they'll do this and and xyz for all the marginalized people they they seek out the marginalized what people that they see as marginalized and say hey vote for us we're going to make life better for you by taking from money from other people and giving it to you but then at the end of the day the results are usually more misery for the people that they said that they would support. Um, I think that's just typical. I mean, they're looking for votes. It's it's vote buying in a way. It's it's one of the problems with being allowed to vote for your own government. You vote for the person who's going to give you the most of other people's money, and then you get that. But then that's really not. I mean, I don't know. It's 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 miserable. the 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 current NDP government has um, nearly doubled the civil service in its years in power. And I can't, like, I mean, that they see government as the solutions, as the solution to every problem. Um, I would argue that it is better when decisions are made closer to home. Government it makes poor decisions. It makes a poor parent. Um, I'm not expecting anything great. We Probably also I just mean, get worse. We also had one of the lowest civil service uh, per capita in Canada prior to before the, that, and yeah, we were prosperous because they were they, they <laughs> the liberals had cut it right down to the bone. Yeah, it's an interesting situation here. I'm I'm curious to see like, because honestly, from the left side, you look at Horgan, he's very middle of the road. Right. I yes. Mean, he's not. He's, he's he's not doing these drastic changes that we're hoping to see. Uh, but you know, maybe EB will come in and may, and do some of those things. But I I have a feeling that Eric is is going to be right. That we're not going to see much change. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, it's. I think it's just you know, who, like what do we need to do to stay in power, and that's sort of it. Yeah. We'll have more about David EB coming up after these messages. Developed as a restorative practice for people living with arthritis, enjoy gentle seated Tai Chi Friday, July 15th at the library. Instructor Tom Hind will lead participants through the one hour drop in session. You can take part either seated or standing. A great way to stay active even for those with mobility issues. Gentle seated Tai Chi Friday, July 15th from one to two at the Bob Harkins branch of your Prince George Public Library. The Community Radio Fund of Canada is seeking nominations for positions on its board of directors. By becoming a part of the CRFC, you can help strengthen local broadcasters in the Canadian media landscape. Candidates are needed with general experience in financial administration, broadcasting, legal issues, and knowledge of CRTC and Industry Canada broadcast regulations. Full details are available at crfc-fcrc.ca slash en slash 2850. Applications will be accepted through September 30th. Visit Hubble Homestead Saturday to take a delicious step back in time at Taste of the Past. Make and taste delicious food the old-fashioned way, including ice cream, butter, cheese, hard candy, and pierogies. Demonstrations run from 11 to 3. Spend the day enjoying all the offerings or just take part in the ones that excite your interest. Find the demo schedule and learn more about upcoming activities at HubbleHomestead.ca. Taste of the Past, Saturday at Hubble Homestead, 40 kilometers north off Highway 97 on Mitchell Road. 
Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly cloudy, the 60% chance of showers, wind from the south at 20k starting late this morning, a risk of thunderstorms this afternoon, a high of 21. Tonight, mainly cloudy, the 60% chance of showers, south winds becoming light this evening, a low of 10. On Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud, a 30% chance of showers in the morning, a high again of 21 with a high UV index. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, so maybe we should have talked about this first, but David Eby is the Minister of Housing, and it looks like his ministry is in shambles. He's he's fired the board, uh, and because of a, was it Ernst & Young report that came out saying basically there are no accountability measures for any of the funding that has been uh, delivered to grantees as part of, uh, you know, what the Ministry of Housing is doing, you know... My personal opinion is that, yes, we need more social housing. We need more uh, actual government intervention in the housing market because the market is not going to take care of itself. Um, it's not going to get people off the street, for instance. It's not going to provide affordable housing. But it seems to me also that this um, duplication, misalignment, jurisdiction models, outdated policies, antiquated systems, those are all pieces <laughs> from the, those are all that pieces from the report. That should be campaign mantra. Yeah, so I'm wondering... Uh, uh, Eric, you've got first word on this one. What do you think about BC housing and, and what this uh, leadership uh, bodes for the future of the province here? Well, I think BC housing has had uh, problems even when the Liberals were in there. In fact, uh, I think it was possible it might have been a bit worse. But uh, I think, you know, the problem that we have is if we want an inquiry into any of this stuff, who's going to do the inquiry? <laughs> usually the government in power or whatever and if you want an inquiry of what's going on in Prince George and you go to the provincial government, you're probably not going to get it because they figure they'll be next. You know, if we get an inquiry that's actually effective, we should inquire into everything that's going on because it's not good. And the housing thing is not good. And they give out these, you know, we're building houses for low-income people in that. They're all over the place. Where are all these people coming from? Is anybody looking at the stats and saying, okay, we got this many people, we need this many things, and we're going to have it by this period of time? Uh, I understood that one on First Avenue, as an example, was going to be a three-phase thing. We got the first building done. There's supposed to be two more buildings going in there. It was sort of a wraparound idea that they had. And then the next thing, you know, I read in the newspaper, they've leased that property out to the person that's there for three years with an option to uh, increase it. Now, I don't know what the state of that particular situation is, but what's happening with it? You know, they don't tell us. Uh, they give us lots of coverage when they're cutting ribbons, but after that, we don't hear anything. And I think that's where we are with BC Housing. It's, you know, it's, it shouldn't be that complicated. You should be able to... I mean, the money, it seems the money's there. It's just when they want to do it and who they want to do it for and what writing they want to do it in quite often. Yeah, you're talking, you're talking about the management of the building, right, that three-year contract? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's the standard thing, right? They don't want BC. BC Housing thinks they can save money by doing that instead of managing themselves. Maybe it's true. Uh, Trudy, what do you think about this? Uh, the fact. I mean, I love the fact that he received, EB received this report on May 10th and then posted an online on June 30th, right before the long weekend. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's the typical, you know, I'm concerned for 
the public, oh, no, I'm concerned for my reputation. And so let's really let's drop the negative report uh, the day before. And then and then he proceeds to fire everyone. And it's like, you knew this was going on. Where is your ministerial responsibility? And this makes me question, why is he considered the best man for the job to replace the BC NDP? Are they that short of good people? Um, I mean, if he can't manage his own portfolio better than having to fire the import entire board, that is really dismal. And part of the problem, like I would say part of the problem with BC housing is, um, and this is what I've heard from friends who are landlords in the city here in Prince George, is that BC housing refuses tenants and then and forces them into the, the, um, the private market. And so they end up with those people and the whole, like, so it's almost as if BC housing is its own sort of entity rather than actually doing what they were supposed to do, which is provide housing for the less fortunate. So what's up with that? Uh, and if, if we want to have something like BC housing, then it needs to actually fulfill its mandate and accept the people who are capable of living in a home and not be pushing them into the private market. Like that's just crazy. Right. You've got the last word here, Art. Yeah, I have to wonder if uh, David Eby, uh, did he really know everything that was going on in in the housing? Uh, uh, As a minister, he doesn't look after all the details. He delegates. So maybe they weren't reporting to him. Maybe he only found out when when that uh, report came out and uh, realized he better do something and do it when nobody's looking. (laughs) So, uh, and the other thing... Uh, there's been a huge increase in the budget for BC housing, apparently, from uh, $782 million to over $7 billion. That's like almost a tenfold increase. Is there anything to show for all that extra money? Uh, or, or are these people just throwing it out willy-nilly and not caring? Um, uh, the news report said that... Uh, BC housing was mostly made up of activists and advocates. So, yeah, then maybe then they're they're less responsible with other people's money, and anything works for them. But uh, you have to you have to know what you're doing and make sure you're going to get results for the money spent. And uh, I think maybe now uh, with the new board, maybe that will happen. That's interesting. I mean, I think you've got a really good point there with the, the ministers sit on top of this very insular civil service with deputy ministers and associate deputy ministers who really kind of protect their own authority, right? And I wonder, I actually wonder how much he knew, whether, whether he had full visibility on the issues that were going on. It's a really good point. However, he should have known. He should have known. And I, I, and I really like, Man, if there's no accountability, I, we're seeing we're seeing good things happen. First Avenue, we're seeing a new uh, this new Aboriginal housing thing that is was like the brainchild and is managed by a local agency, but is being funded. The capital funding is coming from BC Housing, so that's happening, right? And, and I think that it's you know for the for the priorities to be set by local organizations like the city or you know these these kind of these uh, service providers. That's positive, but at the same time, they need to be held accountable for some kind of reporting. For a massive amount of money. Yeah, massive amounts of money. Well, we got to take a break, and then we'll have our final segment after this. 
B.C. Schizophrenia Society's annual general meeting is Saturday, October 15th. Save the date and take part to support the organization and its efforts to improve education and understanding of schizophrenia and psychosis across the province. Find out more about the Society's board through the board and staff link under About Us or become a member through the Make a Difference menu at bcss.org. The B.C. Schizophrenia Society AGM, Saturday, October 15th. A reason to hope, the means to cope. Supply chain issues and labor shortages have delayed the grand reopening of the Exploration Place Museum and Science Centre. The Exploration Place has been closed for the past 26 months due to COVID-19. The subsequent renovation was to be completed with a grand reopening on June 18th. Now the yet-to-be-determined date will be this fall. Meanwhile, the Little Prince steam engine will kick off another season on June 18th for another season of rides at Claytley to name Memorial Park near the Exploration Place. The Canadian Red Cross has launched a program providing recovery support of $5,000 to eligible small business owners and not-for-profit organizations impacted by the extreme weather events last fall. Funds are available to help cover uninsured direct losses, insurance deductibles, specialized cleanup costs that might not be eligible under other programs, and ongoing expenses. Full details or to apply, visit redcross.ca slash bcfloods slash business. Applications must be submitted by September 30th. The House of Ancestors is hosting a night market next Friday. Join in an evening of fun and friendship to celebrate Clay-Laytonay culture through dancing, musical entertainment, and more. Those interested in participating as vendors can contact Heidi Martell by email to Heidi underscore settings at msn.com for details. The House of Ancestors night market next Friday from 4 to 9 at the House of Ancestors, the corner of 3rd and Vancouver. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, well, I wanted to finish off today with this really interesting story about sanctions and loopholes and, frankly, whether or not these sanctions on Russia are even going to work. So there was this set of turbines that propel natural gas through pipelines uh, that were sent from Russia to Canada to be repaired. Right, it's part of the the Russian natural gas pipeline infrastructure. The sanctions hit. Canada was not going to return them to Russia. Germany, facing winter, winter is coming. Uh, <laughs> right, I know it's July. Feels like it's winter already here. Um, they Germany pleaded with Canada to say, please return these these turbines to Russia because we're going to need that natural gas come winter time. You know. It opens up the question. I've heard I've heard varying reports of how effective these sanctions even are, considering that Russia is able to move around. You know, India and China are both accepting anything that they they can get. Trudy, what do you think should have been done here? You think that we should have allowed for this loophole and and sent them back? You think we should have left Germans to starve in the, in the in the face of you know keeping uh, Putin Sorry, in a box? Well, not starve, freeze, yeah. freeze. It would be freezing. Um, Golly, there's so much, uh, so much here. I don't understand how, like, some. It seems to me that the sanctions, they've at this point, like when when Canada does something like that, it feels like all of the talk about sanctions, all of the public, you know, prognostications are just for show, and this just seems really weird. They knew. Um, and, and when they're standing out in front of the public and, and saying how we're going to support Ukraine, we're going to make sure that uh, we're going to put sanctions against Russia and 
they they knew that this was happening. They knew that this was going on. And yet here we are, you know, Germany says, oh, wait a minute, we're going to freeze to death in the winter, which is true because, but then, I mean, they have, Germany has options. They just chose not to, to I, I think it was a Germany that refused to open up their nuclear uh, power plants. They're shutting them all down. They're shutting them all down. So why aren't they doing that instead of buying, like, so, you know, for people that get entirely cynical about the world and say, you know what? Everybody like nothing's true. Not, like I, I, I get where they're going. I get where, why they say that because this just seems utterly ridiculous. Um, and why isn't Germany opening up their nuclear reactors? That's a really good question. So I read that the ruble is now the world's strongest performing currency. <laughs> it seems to me that Putin knew what was going to happen. He knew what what the West was going to do, and he responded in kind by developing those trade networks with other other super other world powers art do you, what do you think about this uh, this whole sanctions issue and this loophole in in, in particular well uh, sanctions in general do work to a certain extent uh, but uh, uh, he's getting around to this because he has sales for, or putin has sales for his uh, products uh, in other countries like you said india and china and europe i mean Europe is basically financing the war against Ukraine with all the gas that they have to buy from him. Uh, the Europeans have been rather stupid in shutting down their own uh, resource extraction or uh, fossil fuel extraction before they have anything to replace it with, and so they still have to burn it, so they buy it from where they can get it. Um, Putin then has demanded that payment be in rubles, Russian rubles, which is why it's such a high performing. That's the best shape the ruble's ever been in. And so he's getting even richer. Uh, it's, the sanctions, uh, I don't think they would apply to those particular turbines. You know, the turbines belong to Russia. Uh, they weren't something that we were selling to Russia. Uh, it, it's, it's, it came here for repairs. It belonged to them. It should have been returned. Just on that basis alone, not to mention the need that uh, Germany has for the gas. So, yeah, but uh, I think Putin wins all around on this. Uh, he's, he's, he's got it. He's, he's, he's got the other countries. He's got Europe where he wants them. So then, I mean, the question is, do we, do we need sanctions at all? I'm also reading here that... Uh, in 2013, Russia imported about half its food, but right now it's totally self-sufficient in food production. <laughs> oh, it's a net exporter. So, Eric, what do you think here? Do we need to con continue these sanctions? And frankly, should we just be fighting this war? Uh, I think when you're talking about food production, they're better now than when they started. I, I read something in it. Some of their food tasted like sawdust with a little bit of flour yeah, on it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you can still yeah, eat it. I don't know. The... Uh, whether the sanctions are going to work or not. But the thing is, you know, the, the old saying that, that the first ca first casualty of war is truth, and uh, God knows what's going on over there in between Russia, United States, and the Ukraine and Europe. But a lot of the, what we're getting is not necessarily the truth. It wasn't that long ago that we, Canada, and the United States supplied all sorts of arms to uh, Russia to fight Germany. And now we want to supply things to Germany to fight Russia. <laughs> and, you know, I, I kind of wondered what this is all about sometimes. And it's, uh, then I, it's just politics, politics and power. But, uh, and it's a proxy war. They're going to fight that war in the Ukraine between Russia and the United States. But, and the reason for it, in my, to my way of thinking, is, is the oil. You know, uh, the United States does not want Russia 
to have that much control over oil to the European common market or the European continent or whatever. And that's why they wanted to get a pipeline through Afghanistan. So they had a second way of getting oil into Europe through uh, down through India and then over by water. And uh, they never they never made it. They never built that pipeline. And the one that does go across through uh, Azerbaijan or whatever is very close to Georgia or something. They could shut that down pretty fast. So I think that's what it is. And the United States is not going to give up on that. They're not going to allow Russia to have that much power in Europe that they can shut down the whole European Union just by turning a few switches. And they probably shouldn't have got that deeply involved with Russian oil and gas. But I'm guessing the price was right at the time. It's so cheap. That's the issue, right? Yeah. yeah. And and they're even they're propping up neighboring countries. Uh, Belarus, for instance, they they sell it to Belarus at a much lower cost, and then Belarus can resell it to the European Union. So they prop up that uh, you know puppet uh, dictatorship there too. I mean, is this just what happens to the Ukrainians? I guess is my question. Like they're just stuck in the middle, and they have to and they have to suffer. Is that right? Well, I would say so. That's what happened uh, when the United States was backing Iraq and Iran simultaneously in the Iraq-Iran war. And the uh, same thing in Vietnam and same thing in, uh, you know, Korea or whatever. The the people closer to the ground are the people that are kind of just left there. And, you know, uh, and it looks like that's what's happening in the Ukraine. Uh, you know, I mean, the whole... You would have liked to think in the 21st century that they could have sat down and resolved this over a table like common sense people, but they don't seem able to do that. I would say for the Ukrainians, I mean, this is just means more misery. I mean, they have done better. I mean, initially everybody was saying, well, they'll fold, you know, they won't fight within a few days, they'll be gone or they'll be overthrown. And that hasn't happened. They're still fighting there. Who knows? Um, I mean, they are extracting severe casualties against Russia. <clears throat> Who knows where that goes? I mean, it's they are a people. Um, and while, yes, we have uh, some of them coming here, uh, there's an awful lot that are still there and fighting for their country and their culture. Yeah, the uh, Ukrainians are in the middle of it all, and they're the ones that are going to suffer the most. Um, I've heard that, uh, you know, the West, Canada, United States, Europe, they're sending all kinds of armaments and weapons to Ukraine. And that is why they've been able to uh, withstand uh, the Russians so long. Uh, these are the modern weapons that NATO has. And in effect, it's a test of uh, NATO against Russia. Uh the NATO countries are not uh, supplying everything they can as, you know, the, the total armament and weapons that they would use in an all-out war between NATO and Russia uh, because they don't want it to develop that kind of a uh, war. But they are sending an awful lot over there, and it's a good test of how well they work, really. And Ukraine is is quite the underdog, and they're doing very well with those weapons. Yeah, it's it's actually incredible the size differential between those two countries and the fact that the Ukraine hasn't been totally wiped out. Of course, what I've heard is that it's also a function of the Ukrainians having trained under Western military systems, which are much more uh, diffuse in terms of abilities to make decisions, whereas the Russians are like they require everyone down the line to to have that. Uh, the, the authority comes from the top, right? Yeah. Mm. So your your field commander doesn't do anything until his commander tells him to. Well, on that note, here we are in Canada. I think that we have a pretty good thing going on, and uh, I think we should all be appreciative. 
another summer another, another summer weekend coming up. I hope everyone has a good one. Thanks very much. After Nine is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.